We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5 today. So if you have a Bible, you'll want to open it up to the New Testament, find the book of Matthew. We have several Bibles over here on the table if you want to use one during the hour. But we're going to read several verses, about uh, 16, 17 verses. And so uh, you really will benefit if you'll open the Bible and read along with us when we get to that in just a moment. Um, it has been such an important hour already. If uh, you paid attention just a little bit to the songs that we just sang and confessed to the Lord about uh, praying for him to break us of our former ways and to instill holiness in us. The scriptures that we just confessed about his lordship and that our knee will bow before him. And for him to just totally form and transform us. If you meant all that, um, it's already been a very powerful morning for you. Because you've invited God to work in you in powerful, eternal ways. And he is pleased to do that. So we're going to, uh, to look at the scriptures for just a few minutes this morning and continue what God has already begun with you uh, with the music portion of our time. Uh, Sherry and I had some people come by this week and do some uh, tree pruning and cutting. Uh, we've got some pretty large trees in our backyard, and so they went way up and did some cutting. And then uh, uh, we have a couple of apple trees out front, and we got them to go ahead and prune that while they were doing that. And it got me to thinking about a friend of mine. A friend of mine told me the story not too long ago about the apple trees in his own yard and how they never bore apples, which he didn't care about. But it was driving his wife crazy. They'd lived there for several years. They'd never had apples on this on these apple trees. And she got to the point where she began to complain to him about that. And he was like, what do you want me to do about that? And she goes, well, do something so that the trees will begin to have apples. And uh, he didn't. And she nagged a little bit here and there, year or two. And so finally it all began to accumulate to the point where he said, okay, okay, okay. And he got his ladder, he got his saw, he went out there and he did some pruning and cutting on these apple trees. And when it came time for the season of apples to come forth, there were no apples. And she started the kind of disappointed, uh, complaining piece all over again. And he just, you know, Popeye had all he could stand and he could stand no more. <laughs> so he hopped in the car. He drove down to the market. He buys several baskets full of apples. He drives back home. He yanks the ladder out of his garage. He climbs up the ladder and with his staple gun begins putting <laughs> apples on his trees. He gets off the ladder, he backs up, and he looks at this, these trees that are just filled with dozens of shiny red apples. And he more or less says, there. He goes in, turns on the ball game, begins to watch a ball game. And sure enough, his wife came through and said something about, I can't believe you're watching a ball game, and we have these trees out there that don't do anything. Rah, rah, rah. And he was like, what are you talking about? They're loaded with apples. And she said, what are you talking about? And he said, go look. And so she goes out, and sure enough, they're loaded with these shiny red apples. Well, now you and I know he's still in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Amen? He, he's in a lot of trouble. And what he has done is a really momentary fix. 
It's, it's an appearance fix. Because in just a little while, those apples are going to rot right there on those branches where they've been stapled. And they won't be falling off like uh, apples typically fall off. And they're just going to be displaying their rotted splendor at some point. And, and they won't be growing or producing apples next year. The Bible has a whole lot to say about that because that is exactly what happens with people that seek to follow Christ. The Bible says that good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit, or in some cases, no fruit. And so when we start talking about the Christian life... And Jesus says, I want you to be rooted in me. And I want to produce fruit in you. Like patience. But let's say the connection between you and God is not that good. And so the life of Christ is not flowing through you in life-giving kinds of ways. And you're not particularly producing the fruit of patience. But you claim to be a Christian. And so you're supposed to be patient. So what do you do? Well, you get your ladder and your staple gun and you begin and you begin to staple the appearance of patience on your life. You act patient and some weird whacked out thing begins to go on and it just drives you crazy. But you act patient and it's, you know, you're laid back and it's cool and because you're patient. Not. And eventually, that facade, that staple job, shows for what it really is. And your impatience comes out. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We could go on and on and on. The Bible says if uh, you're in Christ, He's going to produce love in you. He's going to produce generosity, the fruit of, of giving in you. He's going to produce sacrifice in you, that you're going to become a servant kind of person. He's got a full agenda for your life that he's going to transform you into. And, and his life flowing in and through you is going to produce these things. And when our connection is not what it can and must be, that life is not flowing in us, and we know these expectations are still out there, and so we do the staple job. Act loving. Act generous. Act sacrificial. Act like a servant. And it's not really who we are. And that life of pretense sucks life out of us. And we find the Christian life to be burdensome and a drudgery And a drag. And I've got to do this thing one more time. And they want me to go to a small group. And they want me to look at the Bible. And they want me to, you know, coat and show up to this thing where we're going to try to make it different. And it's sucking life out of us because Jesus is not producing and bringing that life into us. We have been on a journey these last few weeks. Getting more acquainted with Christ and looking for all the good news that Jesus says he came to bring to us. And we started by looking intensely at the person of Jesus. 
so that we would know, is this somebody we want to be up close and personal with? Is this someone to whom we can entrust our lives, that we would abandon ourselves into him and his plan and his ways? And over the weeks, we found out that he's present. With his coming, he announced the kingdom of heaven is here with you. I am the fullness of the presence of God. I'm here with you right now today. You can have all that God's been about for your life now, today. It's not just for the sweet by and by. And we found out that he, uh, he prevails. That there will be all kinds of evil, wicked, tempting things that would seek to undermine and undo our lives. But he, being present with us, will enable us to overcome temptations, overcome wickedness and evil, and become holy, sanctified, righteous, clean unto him. We found out that uh, he's purposeful. He's about purpose in every thing, every aspect of our lives, every little nuance in all the minutiae. It all matters. Everything counts. He's always up to something. And we discovered that he's pretty powerful. And just as he went everywhere doing all kinds of miracles, he still involves and invests himself in you and in me and in us every day. Dozens, if not hundreds of times. Every day. So, as we began to get to know the person of Christ and find out all kinds of good news about who he is and what he's up to with us, then we turned a page and said, okay, let's begin to look more closely at his teaching. What is it that he teaches us about how to do life with him and how to follow him and how to become a man of God, a woman of God? And we started that last week and we got into the Beatitudes, the first part of chapter 5 in Matthew's Gospel. And we found out he is really bent on blessing us. He's looking to bless us in every kind of aspect of life experience. That's pretty good news. And then today, we're going to see how he not only intends to bless us, but he intends to use those blessings and use that activity in us to transform us. And that transformation will produce things in us and through us that the Bible calls fruit and we've come to refer to as virtues. Character qualities that are like himself. So, let's get into... What he's going to say to us today, as I said, it's going to be a number of verses, so I'm going to encourage you to turn your heart and be as attentive as you can as we move through this. And then I'm going to come back after we've read it all and try to unpack a little bit of it, and then we'll be through. So picking up in chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, right after he said, this is how much I want to bless you, this is how much difference I want to make in your life, he then says, but don't think... That I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law 
until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called gold in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, I tell you, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit a tree. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now keep your Bible open. I'm going to be walking right down these verses and you want to be able to follow along in what we're talking about. Curious verses. Raise a few questions for you well if it raises a few questions for you bet it raised a few questions for those first hearers into whose lives jesus spoke some two thousand years ago so let's think about it in that way what kinds of questions were they asking that jesus was speaking into now remember He had shown up on the scene at the Jordan River where he was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptizer. And there he publicly launched into this ministry of preaching and mighty works. Your heart, all that can come and do, and to show you that this is the real deal, the deaf to hear back things. So that would kind of lead some of these hearers. And he shows up on this hillside and thousands of them gather. And he begins to say, and by the way, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed if you're poor and you're the forgotten. You're the nobodies. You're going to be blessed if life's been hard and you're full of grief and mourning. You're going to be blessed if you've had people turn against you. On and on and he goes with those blessings. And so you can imagine that they would come along and have a question. So, Jesus, if, if the kingdom has come and if you're so intent on blessing us, And making life something that it has not been, does that mean that you're doing 
the, the prophets, all the commandments, all the teachings that we would call our Old Testament. It was their scripture. And answer, Jesus said, no. I have not come to do away the law. I'm not relegating that to a point of less importance. On the contrary, I have come to absolutely fulfill the law. I will take care of every requirement that the law brings to humanity. Now, friends, by the way, that's good news. Because you can't. I can't. It has already been demonstrated hundreds and thousands of times in each of our lives individually. We don't have the goods to keep the law. We keep breaking the commandments. We keep breaking the will and the ways of God. We are broken, busted, sinful people. All of us. And Jesus said, well, here's some good news. The law is not going away. God's still got the same standard. But I'm going to satisfy the law and, and the standard of heaven for you. So that what I do on your behalf will square it up for you and God. Well, that kind of raises another question then. Um, does it even really matter then how we live? I mean, if you're going to take care of the law and you're going to, you're going to uh, fulfill every aspect of the law and the standard and the requirements of God, um, we kind of get a free pass. We kind of get to do whatever we want to do, what kind of, you know, whatever we feel. And... To the question of, does it really matter then how do we live? The answer is yes, it still matters. No, you don't get to get away with just whatever you want to do. In fact, he says, of righteousness, in the moment, these were the most righteous people there in the country, countryside. These guys, the Ten Commandments, and had all these lists you could trip over all the in and day out. You're right, only keep the letter. Of the law. And God's not only interested in you keeping the letter of the law, God wants you to keep the spirit of the law. And so you better believe it matters how you live, not only in the letter, the appearance, the outside externals of the law, but the spirit of it, the internal aspect of it. For example, murder, but that is in you now. It will be at work in you so that you may not and you will not hate one another and harbor anger toward one another. Now, don't get freaked out on that. That doesn't mean that you never get angry. The Bible has a whole lot more to say about what to do when you do get angry. The point is you don't stay there. You don't remain in your anger. You have to deal with your anger. You have to resolve your anger. You have to come to points of forgiveness and reconciliation. It is not an option to stay angry, to stay unreconciled and unforgiven in your relationships. In fact, it's such a big deal to God. He says when you come to the house of worship and you want to present some kind of offering at the altar to the Lord, but yet you still got something in between, not just the letter of the law, but the spirit. Of the law. Another example. The law says you can't commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even learn. Because that is an adulterous experience inside of you. Maybe it never got outside. Maybe it never got expressed. But it is an adulterous experience inside of you. And I tell you, you can't even have lust in your heart. 
Now, at this point, I don't know about you, but the people long ago were getting exasperated. Our righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. We can't even have hatred or lust in our hearts. What are we supposed to do? Are, are, are we supposed to just whack off our hands so that we never do uh, harm to a neighbor? Or are we supposed to gouge out our eyes so that we never look upon someone lustfully? Answer, no. Because that really doesn't make a difference. You see, you're still talking about stapling apples to trees. You're still talking about the external. You can whack off your hands and still hate somebody. You can gouge out your eyes and still harbor lust in your heart. Because these are matters of the heart. These are not matters of the eyes and the hands alone. You have to guard your hands, guard your eyes. But mutilating yourself is not the answer. So what is the answer? Well, good trees produce good fruit. And the answer is that you so give your life to Christ and in exchange so receive his life in you. That he begins to so transform your inner person that it produces these kinds of fruit. It was uh, November. And uh, George Center was going to make a trip to another city to pick up his son from school and bring him home for Thanksgiving. George and his family had lived in this area about six, seven years. And along the way, they had met a guy named Ben Morris and befriended him, led him to Christ. George spent a lot of time with Ben, mentored him, discipled him in the ways of Christ. Ben was welcomed into the center house often would have holidays with them, have meals with them. And uh, George and his wife Libby would often uh, give various kinds of projects and work to Ben to do so that he could make money and have income. And they would refer him to other people so he could uh, do work and have income. They treated him like a family member. So George goes off to pick up his son bring him home for Thanksgiving, and while George is on this little trip, Ben goes into the house, and he begins to molest the 10-year-old little girl, Rachel. Libby, the wife, comes in, discovers it, courageously begins to confront Ben and try to stop him, and he turns on her, beats her, rapes her, kills her, and then kills the little girl. Then he flees. George comes home with his son. Comes into a house where he discovers his battered and killed wife and daughter. Police are brought in. 
investigation takes place. There's some evidence that shows Ben Morris has been here. And they began to pursue him as a person of interest. They finally catch up with him on the border as he's trying to move into another country and arrest him. And with that arrest, Ben confesses that he had in fact committed these horrendous crimes against Libby and Rachel Center. So they're uh, of the nature that uh, he's a candidate for capital punishment. And the legal proceedings begin to get underway, and the prosecutors are going for the death penalty. And George has had God work in his heart about this tragic, awful loss in his life. And George goes to the authorities and asks if he can have an opportunity to talk with Ben. Miraculously, they let him. And as George eyeballs the guy that betrayed him, the guy in whom he'd invested so much, the guy with whom he'd invited into his home and into his family life, the guy who brutalized and kills his, his wife and daughter, he tells him, I still love you. I forgive you. And you need to pay for what you've done, but I don't want the state to kill you. And George began to advocate for Ben against capital punishment. And the legal system was bent on taking it the full way. Of course, when the media picked up on how George had responded and acted toward Ben, they were beside themselves. They couldn't believe the story. And the story not only spread there, but it began to spread around the world, around the globe. The perplexity, the question of how can someone forgive the murderer of your wife and daughter? How can someone advocate for that person not to be executed? And George had hundreds of opportunities to speak into the media and into the world about the power of the forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you where we're headed over these next couple of weeks as we continue in the teachings of Jesus. We are headed, when we get to the end of chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus will say to you and us, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's where we're headed. You say... I'm a little confused because I thought you were going to be about good news today. This is sounding more and more like bad news. This is sounding really hard. This is almost sounding harsh. No, this is the gift of the Christ life. That's what we're talking about. C.S. Lewis said it this way. The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas. 
Nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. That's the whole point. He knows you and I can't get there on our own. We don't have the capacity to get there on our own. But He will fulfill the law. He will make advocacy and reconciliation for us with the Heavenly Father. The Father will then forgive and allow us to have the fullness of life that He intended for us before creation. And that fullness of life will begin to work in us and transform us. And as Paul would say, make us an altogether new and different creature. Not a new and improved you, but an altogether different creature. That with process and grace and sanctification will move toward the fullness of God. The Bible uses the word perfect, which also means whole, complete, mature. So, is that good news? Do you catch a little good news in there? Let me make sure that we did. I want to highlight just a couple of things. The first is this. And we've been saying this every week. The kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus ushered in the fullness of God and the activity of God. And because of that, we can have that fullness now. Today, it's not later and then, sweet by and by. What an opportunity, what a gift to be able to know God, sense God, see God, hear God, commune with God, do life with God, interact with God, walk with God. You get to do that. Now. And then, because the kingdom of heaven is here, Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. He satisfied all of the case that a holy God has against us. Therefore, as a follower of Christ, there is no condemnation for you. No condemnation for you. And so the thought of coming close to God does not have to be a cowering, fearful, shirking, uh, uncertain thing. The scriptures say you can come boldly to the throne of grace, to a heavenly father who is bent on blessing you. And then finally... Out of all that interaction, Jesus will change us and produce fruit in us. You don't have to pretend to be patient. He will legitimately make you a patient person. You don't have to pretend to be loving. You don't have to pretend that hard to love person. He will literally work that in you and you will love them. You don't have to pretend to be a servant. He will make you a serving person like our Savior was the serving one. 
You don't have to white knuckle and pretend like you're going to be sacrificial. It becomes who you are. It's your nature. And over these next few weeks in the new Mike's class, we're going to be talking about those fruits of the Spirit. I mean, how could you not want to see more of what God's going to be up to with you about that? So how will you respond? Well, as I've been asking every week, will you repent? Will you stop doing life on your own and apart from God? Will you turn to Him and start doing it with Him? Will you begin to receive that fullness of God, that life of God that comes in Christ? And will you be rooted in Christ so that fruit is being produced in you? Will you... Walk with Christ so that your life is changing. It doesn't happen like this. We've said it a hundred times in here. It's a process. But the question is, are you more patient today than last year? Are you more loving today than you were last month? Are you more giving today than you were last week? Are you becoming fruitful unto God? And finally, will you take the opportunity of what God's up to these days and repeat one bit of good news to one person about Christ this week. It's a bad news day. There's a lot of hard, harsh stuff going on all around us. And God has seen fit to speak into our lives over these weeks and say, here's some good news, here's some good news, here's some good news. Share it. Will you do that? Now, over these last few weeks, we've been tracking that. You've already done well over 200 bits of good news that you've shared with other people. You've been indicating that on this little connection card every week. Would you indicate that again today? On the back side, top line, it says, I shared good news this week. If you did that with one, two, three, four, however many people, just put a number in that blank. Let us continue to see how much God is doing through you to encourage others. And will you commit to do it again this week? Share good news again. This week. Now, I've said a lot. And there's a whole lot that I didn't say. I mean, we could have been on this text a couple hours. But I said the things I think that God wanted to take and began to ruminate within you. So we're purposefully taking a couple of minutes right now. And we're going to invite you to just kind of bow your head, close your eyes. Don't get in a hurry to transition from here and get out of the room and so on. Just a couple of minutes. Soak in what God has been saying to us in these last few minutes. What's He up to with you? What's your response? What will be different today because you were in this place and made a decision? For Christ. Let's bow together. Let's pray. Let's think about these things.